1: no, I'm not for sale.
0: You are Locked On Colts, your daily Indianapolis Colts podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Welcome back to Locked On Colts, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Dainley. And tonight we are going to study a little bit about a position that we haven't talked a ton about uh, through the offseason and such. I mean, we've we've hammered through the linebackers, uh, inside and uh, edge, edge defenders. We've talked about cornerbacks, safeties, uh, running backs, just about anything, including offensive linemen. But one of the Colts' biggest needs this year... Uh, is uh, to have a a all defining nose tackle to really anchor that uh, that front seven, and who else better than to bring in Charles McDonald to tell us a little bit more about him? Charles, thank you for joining me, man.
0: Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm anxious for the draft to get here. You know, we've we've kind of been talking about the same players over and over again. I'm I'm ready to see where they end up now.
1: Yeah. And I'm excited to have you on because this is, like I said, uh, off air, this is a a group that I have not really, you know, been able, not been uh, smart enough or intelligent enough to really talk about these guys in depth, mainly because a lot of them, I'm just not I'm just not up to date on a lot of these guys. I mean, there's so many interesting positions and so many interesting names, uh, at other positions. It seems like I've kind of ignored this, uh, for my listeners. So I've, I've kind of, felt it was necessary to get somebody on who knew what was going on with these guys and, and kind of tell us who is going to be uh, one of the, the better uh, targets out of this group who could get we could get guys late and so on and so forth so uh, we'll get this going right now if you guys aren't following charles he is at four verts on twitter yeah like i said he covers the defensive tackles for the br nfl 1000 series uh, he also does work at the falcoholic so uh, and also the setting edge podcast fantastic oh yeah I, I actually listen to that uh every time you guys have one. <laughs> always always good uh thank you most definitely my favorite uh episode was you know they're all good but my favorite was uh Miko Grimes that oh. I, I'm a yeah, that's, what, that's what everyone says I'm a mailman <laughs> I'm a mailman by day so I'm walking around with my earbuds in and I just I couldn't help but crack up laughing so I'm just assured that some of my customers thought I was crazy but <laughs> that was a fantastic episode but uh as we get into these guys who, where where could we like realistically expect some of these nose tackles to kind of come off the board? And and I guess let's let's preface that a little bit with who would be like your top three at the position.
0: You know, it, it's kind of weird because, well, last year you know we had the big names with, uh, you know, Sheldon Rankins and Kenny Clark and Vernon Butler and Robert Kandichi, Javon Hargrave. Like the list goes on and on and on. But this year it, it's. The the talent isn't quite as deep there, but I do think there are some guys to be had on day two. So if you're kind of looking just at nose tackle types, this class has a lot of guys that are, you know, like the the tweeners between defensive tackles and defensive ends, but I've kind of nailed or kind of circled out three, you know, quote-unquote true nose tackles for this class. Mm -hmm. Dalvin Tomlinson from Alabama, Eddie Vanderdose from UCLA, and uh, D'Angelo Brown from Louisville. And, you know, they're all – a little bit different. You know, Dalvin Thompson is your, you know, prototypical just I'm gonna sit here and eat up these blockers so the linebackers can go mm-hmm. and and uh, make plays in the run. VanderDose is a little bit different because he you know, stylistically, he tries to get upfield a little bit more than you know, some of these other nose tackles do and he does have the explosion to do it he tested pretty well the combine in the 10 yard split and the broad jump so mm. you know, he does have the athletic ability to do that but I, I i think like at the senior bowl at least i saw that when he decides he just wants to blow up a blocker no one can really stop him but he, he tries to play a little bit of a finesse game too much so if you can kind of get him to say look dude like you're a nose tackle not a defensive end or a three technique, I think that that could be, <laughs> that could be a, a, a really good high upside draft pick. And D'Angelo Brown, you know, he kind of fits the mold of, you know, we see like these uh, teams kind of switching to smaller nose tackles like, you know, Seattle and Atlanta and Jacksonville and uh, even the Texans a little bit a few years ago when they had uh, – Blake on his name. oh Earl Mitchell who just signed with the 49ers and D'Angelo brown you know, he's he's around that size he's a little bit shorter squattier he's not that explosive but he's really really strong at the point of attack and in you know we we see teams like Texans that are in your division who use a lot of outside zone plays and even Jacksonville has incorporated that into their scheme so if you can have a nose tackle that can you know move laterally and defend those runs that's that's always a plus but he's never going to be like a star pass rush or anything like that
1: yeah and see and then the Colts have uh, T. Y. McGill, which I'm sure that a lot of people outside of Indianapolis aren't necessarily familiar with, and he's not a, a true nose, but he he kind of has, you know, with David Perry in there, and and he's just not. David he just Perry. Starts- He's terrible. Yes. I mean, he just doesn't do it, you know. But T.Y. McGill probably could size-wise. And the fact that, you know, like you spoke about with uh, Vanderdose, he has that athletic ability, It's despite how big he is, to get himself into the backfield and disrupt plays, uh, whether pass or run. But he's not. He's just not that true nose. And the Colts, I would assume, would look for that because that's really going to be the foundation of their defense this year. They're really trying to. I think, the, by all accounts, with what they've done in the or in uh, uh, free agency, they're really trying to make sure that they're hammering home that they are trying to change uh, the outlook on that. Not only were they terrible in coverage, but they really have to establish themselves as good run stopping defenders.
0: Yeah, and I I, I like what I. Uh... Chris Ballard that's his name right Chris Ballard yep Yep. yeah I like what he's done so far because when you watch that Colts defense last year I I mean I that was one of my least favorite units to watch because they were just getting blown up off the ball like all the time and you know outside of Antonio Morrison you didn't really have like a dog in that front seven and even with Antonio Morrison like he'll bring the physicality but he, he can't run and he's not great in coverage so I like what they've done you know bringing in Jabal Sheard and John Simon and hopefully they'll be able to get a defensive tackle in this draft class.
1: Yeah. And let me ask you this real quick about Sheard while we're on the on the topic of him. Do you think that he can uh, come down as a five tech uh, periodically, whether it be in sub packages or in their base?
0: Uh, Probably more in sub packages. I wouldn't really like that in base just because you don't really see guys with his body type holding up well against, you know, head up to, head up against off the tackles against a run like that.
1: Mm-hmm. And he he was just one of those guys that, when you watched him in Cleveland, you know he all fours and just would fire out. And I was like, man, I want to see some of that, as opposed to really kind of how they used him in New England. I mean, you can. I don't mind him being a stand-up outside linebacker, but I would love to see him in those sub packages, knocked down, and have somebody else, maybe whoever they draft in this uh, in this year's draft, kind of stand up and be that uh, that rush linebacker from that side. So. Uh, just a thought while I had you on here, knowing that you've checked all these guys out. So, yeah. Uh, but tell me uh, a little bit about who who is the guy that you really like out of those three between uh, Tomlinson, Vanderdose, and Brown.
0: Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think Tomlinson and Vanderdose are are in a tier above Brown. So, I mean, when I'm I'm not looking at my uh, my grade sheet right now, and Tomlinson and Vanderdose, like they have. difference in grade so i I, for me that really just comes down to personal preference Mm -hmm. like are you going to i mean the colt's interest in poe uh and just the way that kansas city use poe and kind of how he would translate to that defense kind of makes you think that they just want a guy who's going to sit there and clean up blocks and uh and allow space for the linebackers to flow, which is fine. I mean, we've seen plenty of defense be extremely successful doing that. So I, I think Tomlinson might be more of the Colts flavor, but I like uh, Vanderbilt. just because it, it, I, I just I like defensive tackles being able to, you know, I, I guess it's going to sound corny, but be free and go be able to get upfield and go disrupt plays and not just have to kind of be a blocking dummy for, for the linebackers. Right. So, I mean, I think for the Colts, Dalvin Tomlinson probably – fits their quote unquote prototype better just based on what they wanted to see from Poe but i think and if Eddie does, would be a great fit too
1: yeah and i'm kind of like you i i enjoy the you know uh now his name's escaping me but the last uh nose that we got out of alabama he was similar to that too wasn't getting in the backfield much at all i can't believe that his Oh Josh Chapman thank you man totally blew over my head too Yeah. And he wasn't one of those guys that would get in the backfield. I'm more, uh, I like the guys that can go back and disrupt the guys that can actually create a pass rush from that position. But at the same time, I want to make sure that they are quality run stopping guys or that they are at least have the ability, you know, to take up more than one blocker and can handle the double team. Uh, because that's ultimately what this scheme, uh, and I'm using air quotes, because it's just such a strange <laughs> scheme to begin with. You know, it's considered a 3-4, uh, you know, hybrid, but there's really no hybrid, it seems, with it. It's just like the rest of the NFL that are doing about 65%, 75% subs. And I just really want them to find a guy that can do both and that is quality in both aspects. And if that's VanderDose, then so be it. I'm totally fine with that but they've got to be able to be run stoppers first and i think that obviously the the front office and the coaching staff are definitely looking for somebody that fits that mold as well. Um when we go on to where are these guys kind of looking at as far as uh on on like maybe the your big board or or where would you expect them to fall uh in the draft like maybe in early second round or even second day you say.
0: Yeah, well i i think uh Tomlinson and Vanerdose for i think you know just from what i've seen on tape and you know just buzz from uh, like guys i've talked to i think they're probably going to end up going around like the the turn of the of round 2 and round 3 so anywhere in like that 50 to 75 pick range is where i think those guys will probably come off and then D'Angelo Brown's more of a day 3 guy but you know i, I like Brown for what he gives you you just kind of have to know that he's never going to be a great pass rusher mm-hmm. and you know what kind of interests me with Vanardos is like you said it Every team is just they're playing nickel. Like I'm a Falcons fan, so I know that they played, you know, sixty five percent nickel last year. Mm-hmm. Uh so if you can get a guy who's who, who can stop the run of nickel and still not be a complete liability on passing downs, that's what I, that's where I think Vanderos may be a little bit of a better fit for the Colts. Mm-hmm. Just because He's, he's a better pass rusher than Thomason, but Thomason does give you a little bit better run defense on, you know, a more consistent down-to-down basis.
1: Yeah, and they really have to be the, – the Colts defense, this front seven, just absolutely has to completely change uh, the, the way that they're viewed. They have to become a meaner defense. And this front seven's been so weak, kind of like you said, that there's not very really many dogs on this team. And, you know, it, for that matter, it was nice that Morrison was such a thumper except for the fact that he, you know, had like the – I mean, he just could not pay attention, it seemed like, long enough to, to be in the game any more than on running downs. You put him in, not only was he bad in coverage, but he couldn't, he didn't know who his guy was. He had no idea what his assignment was in some of those, and it that started in camp. You could see it move forward. He had a, few, a little uh, stretch of some good games there where he seemed to play pretty well, but then it just kind of fell apart in the end of the year as well. So, the, I mean, the, the remaking of this front seven really starts with, I think, that front, that front four or that front three, depending on, you know, where, what, uh, what package they're in. And is there another guy on here that maybe let's see the Colts and the Colts don't pick past uh, round five at this moment, uh, which I expect them to pick up another sixth or seventh round pick at some point and trade back at, at some point throughout the draft. Is there somebody that late in the draft that is going to at least, uh, be more than a camp body?
0: Uh, uh, not this year i'm not really sure maybe a guy like elijah quails from washington who's uh you know he he's like your your prototypical nose tackle that he he's not going to give you anything pass rushing but he can he can not be a liability versus the uh, versus run maybe he's a guy that you pick up on you know in the 6th or 7th round if you trade back in round 2 mm-hmm. and pick up another pick right there but uh, this this class is not as as strong and as deep as last year. I think if you want a guy who's going to be a starter, you're going to have to take him in in round two, probably.
1: Hmm. That's and that's high for I, th- I think for the Colts. But the but then again, you know, if they see one of those guys that are uh, you know a, a difference maker in any way, shape, or form, then I think that you know I don't think that they would hesitate to to peel him off the board. That's for sure.
0: When we get when you when you look at how bad that front seven was last year, yes. <laughs> you're, you're. I mean, you're gonna have to reach. You, you might have to reach for a guy because you just can't go into this season with David Perry as starting starting nose tackle. That, I mean, that's that just can't be
1: possible. Right. It's a scary thought because at the same time, when when not only myself but a lot of us want those flashy, uh, uh, big time difference making pass rushers on the edges, um, at the same time. This is, you know, in kind of like what, you know, I was talking to George Bremer last night on the show, and we were talking about how he's going to appro- how Ballard should approach the draft as far as, you know, when he was in free agency, he approached it as grabbing those foundational guys like Simon and Sheard and just some other depth guys, you know, basically to see if they can show out. But we want, the, we want the edge guys and we want the the flashy guys, but Getting a nose tackle who can actually do it all as far as playing against the run and, you know, creating a little havoc in the backfield is something that, like you said, you're going to absolutely have to do at some point if you really want this defense to turn the corner.
0: Yeah. And like, there aren't that many guys like that in this class. And it, it, it's just kind of hard because when, when you, it, the, the NFL, they kind of value defensive tackles in a weird spot you know like I was big fans of uh, Javon Hargrave and Grady Jarrett the year that they came out and Grady Jarrett was a fifth round pick and Hargrave was a third round pick and like they're they're both studs so mm-hmm. I, I think that I think that different maker difference makers can be had on the third day not on the third day but on the second day this year but you're gonna have to take that guy in the second round just because you can't risk him slipping through the cracks and you can't you can't just pick a position in the second round and say well hopefully vanados is going to be here in the in the third round no you're gonna have to say look we have we don't really have a starting nose tackle on our roster right now mm-hmm. we have a chance to get one right now let's not risk it let's pull the trigger right here so if if, if it can uh shore up a spot in round one and then come back and take a defensive tackle in round two i think that that that's a pretty good start for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that has to be, like you said, that has to be their mindset going into this is like, look, if we're going to get one at all, we're going to have to get him now. They're just, you know, we're not going to have any kind of impact uh, on day three with some of these guys, at least not what we're wanting to build. And so th- th- this really does is, is such a interesting draft, not only because of the talent involved in it, but because of Chris Boward coming in in his first year, just really trying to, make his mark on this team and as a general manager uh being a first-time general manager this is one of the best drafts he could possibly get is there another guy like not so much on a nose tackle basis but like a guy who is uh considered maybe a three tech right now who could fill in um that they may would be worth going after like maybe late day two early day three or something like that who could fill in as a as a nose tackle and and do it well
0: oh yeah uh so I'm there are two guys that really uh fit this description for me. The first one is Jaleel Johnson from Iowa. Now, behind Malik McDowell, he's my second ranked interior defensive lineman, and I have a I mean, just from the film, I have a first round first round grade on him. Uh, but he didn't do that great at the combine. But I I think like when you look at interior defensive linemen, the tape is is more important than the the combine. I mean, with edge defenders, you know, my my Podcast co-host Justice Mosqueda, he's done a lot of force players metric stuff like that, so I think he has the argument there. But inside the tape is the tape real supreme. So like like Johnson, he was just a beast at three tech for Iowa, and he led them in sacks for two years in a row, I think. And you know, he's not the flashiest player, but he's just really technically sound. He understands blocking schemes and what he's looking at, and he he just he's rarely out of position. So I, I think the testing might knock him down uh, a round or two. So if you can get, if Johnson's sitting there on the board in the third round, I mean, it, it's taking me like two seconds to run that card in and, and, hmm. and go grab him just because, you know, I, I, I mean, I've compared him to Kawan short from uh, the Carolina Panthers guys that like, shorts, not the flashiest athlete, but he's just, a big, tough guy who knows what's coming at him, when it's coming at him, and, uh, I mean, that works in the NFL. Absolutely. You know, in college, we get kind of hyped up on these guys that are always more athletic than the offensive linemen they're going against, but when you kind of narrow the the pyramid, I guess, to the top, and you see that all the offensive linemen in the NFL are good athletes too – Give me the guy that's going to understand when and where they're coming from and how to attack and defeat those. So Jaleel Johnson's like, when it comes to blocker recognition, he's like real high up on on a list of guys that I like. And then the next guy is uh, Chris Wormley from Michigan, who just absolutely destroyed his pro day. I love he that. ran, yeah, he's good. He uh, he ran a seven seven point oh eight three cone at two hundred ninety seven pounds, which is crazy. I mean, you'll see some linebackers and safeties running that three comb uh at you know seventy pounds less which is just ridiculous for his size. So I think if you can get Wormley and he's been a guy that started Michigan for a few years now and had great production and now he's great athleticism to go with that, that kind of makes him a safer pick uh too. Now with Wormley, I don't know if he's gonna be there in round three. I I mean he he could end up being like a top fifty or forty five pick and I wouldn't really be that surprised. But
1: right.
0: if if he lasts in the third round, I don't think I think you gotta pull the trigger on that like
1: ASAP. Oh man, I don't I I I really like him. I mean my my assumption without having a big board of my own necessarily is that he's an early second round pick. Uh yeah maybe, maybe mid second, but I mean it really kind of depends on how quarterbacks and all these other things go in the first round. Uh, to push a couple of those guys back. I mean, it's not like we've got 10 quarterbacks going in the first round. But right. I mean, you know, just the, those few picks could, you know, do what it needs to do for a team to grab a guy like that. But I really like Chris Wormley. I think that he's a guy that can bring a ton with him. Not only that, but he can move out. And, you know, he I don't, I don't know as far as uh, in comparison to a lot of the other guys as far as arm length or whatever, but he sure – when he does, he sure uses his arms to the best of his advantage, and he uses them well as far as – how long his arms are in comparison like I said I don't know to a lot of these guys on the uh that are in for the draft this year but man I loved his tape I really enjoyed watching him he seemed to be uh just as apt to be able to uh work the edge as any of the guys on there I'm not a fan of Taco Charlton really uh a guy like that who's considered to be a more of a pure edge rusher but Wormley was a guy who stuck out to me on tape really enjoyed him like that he can move inside like that he could come out as well and help with the uh with the pass rush in that regard but he man some guy I just don't know how he could last till day three if any if he are not day three but round three if he lasts till the third round you know somebody better be running that thing up as soon as the clock starts like you said now let me ask you about Malik McDowell while I got you here that one of the guys that just like everybody talks about his tape, his Notre Dame tape has been was fantastic. And then he just kind of shut it down there towards the end of the year. What is your take on that? As far as uh red flag wise, is that a major issue to you? Or do you think that the fact that Michigan state wasn't having such a great season at the time that he was just kind of, you know, packing it in and, you know, it's, it's much, much ado about nothing.
0: Yeah. I, I just don't really think it's a big deal. I mean, you go back and you go and watch, he had really, he had two really good games after the Notre Dame game uh versus Indiana and Northwestern. And even he has, he has some, a lot of good wrestlers, BYU too. And I, I just kind of see like the human side of it, you know, where he's an 18 year old kid, right? Five-star recruit goes to Michigan state. uh I think they were in the playoff that year against Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. As a freshman. Yep. Then they come back next year and they're almost in there again. And, his, his junior year, he's a star with playing with three, other, three freshmen on the defensive line, and their team just sucks. Like, I, I can <laughs> – I, I mean, I don't know. I can see where a 20-year-old kid who has never really faced any adversity on the football field like that might get a little bit disinterested. But, like, when you watch him play, it's crazy because he's not refined – like, he's not – he's really not a refined player yet, but right. – he understands blocking schemes. Like I like with Jaleel Johnson. Like Jaleel Johnson is more refined with his his technique and his hands and his feet and stuff like that. But he doesn't have the the upside that McDowell does. So if I can get a guy who who may not be the most refined with his technique, but he understands blocking schemes, and he he knows at least where to be. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take your chance on that in the first round to see. Like, hey, if I'm a playoff team. And Malik McDowell is sitting there, and we already have a quarterback, and we don't really have another pressing need. Pull the trigger, it, like you know, if I'm if I'm the Colts in the first round, I would not be opposed to pulling the trigger. I'm Malik, I'm Malik McDowell if he's there, because in the AFC South with Andrew Luck, you're 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 right there to be a playoff team every year, no matter what, pretty much. Right. Um, so yeah, I I really love Malik McDowell. I think he's going to be. An absolutely excellent pro. Uh, there, a lot of people have been comparing him to Kandici, but I wrote about Kandichi last year. Kandichi was not on the same level, like mentally on the field, that McDowell was.
1: Much, much more into uh, what he was doing as far as the scheme and so on, huh? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Now, I, now a lot of people were comparing him to like the Chris Jones factor. Who he went to the uh, Chiefs in the second round last year. And, or was it last, yeah, last year? Yeah, it was last season. And, you know, is there much of a comparison as far as their, their issues, their personal issues with that? I mean, th- there's a lot of talk about McDowell not being a good teammate. How does that kind of move uh, into the NFL as far as that goes? But I mean, you know, when it gets, when you're in, in, in college, a lot of these guys, not only are they trying to be seen, I mean, this is the ultimate uh point right now. This is, uh, the Zenith right here is getting to the point where you're considered to be uh, an NFL prospect. And I mean, a lot of these guys are, you know, uh, all about themselves and selfish. And I mean, that's just the way it goes. Is that, is that anything different other, aside from his, you know, kind of shutting it down? I mean, is that anything, would that bother you uh, at all?
0: Uh, Not really. I mean, I don't really, I, I, I just feel like I don't really know enough as an outsider, outside of hearsay, with uh, with character concerns, McDowell is so weird because you know he never got like he he never got arrested or anything. It's just kind of what we hear from the from whispers from Michigan State, and right. I don't know. I just I don't really I don't really factor that too much into my valuations, honestly. Unless you know we have like an arrest record or like a warrant or something like that.
1: Yeah, it is really weird, too, because there's never really been, like, any concrete uh, reasons or explanations for why somebody's saying it. There's always so-and-so says this about him, but there's really, like, okay, can you give me an example? And there really is never any given.
0: Yeah, it's just kind of... He kind of disappeared from the... uh, from the uh, rotation towards the end of the year, which is always an eye-opener because he was very easily their best defensive player, so... I, I think... I think in the right situation, he's going to be an absolute stud. Like mm-hmm. if, if I, I would, I don't know, like if I'm, I, I haven't in my top five personally, but you know, if I'm San Francisco and I'm, I need a culture change. I don't know if that's the guy I want to bring in at number two, but if he's fallen down the board and I'm a playoff team and we already have a solid thing going here, I'm, I'm pulling the trigger easy.
1: Yeah. And it's always a good thing when you've got a, an existing leadership uh, core, in any NFL team and that's something the Colts really don't have I would say right now they've gotten a lot of uh, rid of a lot of their leadership um, guys like DeQuell and even Walden I mean a couple guys who you wouldn't think that were real popular uh, with teammates are, were actually fantastic locker room gra- uh, guys and so a lot of their you know and Mike Adams you know he was an, another guy uh, and you know Robert Mathis I mean the list goes on and on a lot of their defensive leadership has been gone so this might be uh i don't know like you said what what is it we don't know Uh, a lot of the guys that are uh scouting these guys and a lot of the coaches and gms know a ton more than we do and probably a lot more than we'll ever know about them until something pops up while they're in the league so Yeah. yeah charles thank you so much for joining me man it was excellent insight uh like i said something i had kind of not really gotten to my listeners uh to this point and i wanted to give them somebody who understood the position and could uh could could school them a heck of a lot better than i could so, <laughs> uh, definitely appreciate you stopping by man give me some of your time make sure that you guys are following him at verts on twitter uh, like I said, he covers the defensive tackles for Bleacher Report, their uh, their BRN uh, 1000 series. Catch him at the Falcoholic as well, doing film and NFL draft work there. And also, make sure you guys are subscribing to the Setting the Edge podcast. Him and uh, Mosqueda really do a fantastic job. It's a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, much less serious than anything you guys will hear me on, that's for sure. And, oh, yeah. and fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's a great listen. It gives me something to listen to on the days. So, uh, thanks again, man, for dropping by. I truly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening and make sure that you guys are getting ratings and reviews there on iTunes. Thank you guys for everything. Make sure you guys are hitting that call in number 574-516-2881. Get those uh, voicemails in here for the the mailbag show and we'll get them on the show. Uh, Thank you guys all for joining me this week and we'll talk to you next week right here on Locked on Colts. You are locked on Colts, your daily podcast on the Indianapolis Colts